Uh, Hebrews 11 uh, tells us that, that Joshua conquered this city by faith. And in that story of Joshua and the people of Israel taking over uh, and destroying Jericho, there's a story within a story here. And that's, that's really what we want to talk about today is that, the, that faith was not only uh, exhibited outside of these walls of Jericho, but there's a huge, one of, the, one of the greatest faith plays of all time was manifested right inside the city walls of Jericho. I'd like to tell you a story this morning. A couple of years ago, uh, my family and I, we were living in Indiana, the northwest corner. And uh, right as we came on staff uh, as an assistant pastor up there, we met a family that we immediately connected with, the Kluppelberg family. And it was James and Felicia. And immediately after meeting them, uh, probably within a week, we found out that James's dad, uh, who ironically his name is James as well, was being let out of prison. Uh, James's dad has been in prison for 25 years prior to us being there. Um, and to give you a little background on that, he there was a, a fire March 24th, 1984, that erupted in the vacant first floor of a three-story apartment building in Chicago's south side. And the fire ripped through the building. It destroyed everything. And in that fire, a 28-year-old mother and her five children... Uh, they, they passed away in that fire. They didn't, didn't make it. Years, so the fire was ruled an accident. A couple years later, about three years later, a sketchy testimony from a guy with a vendetta against James set in motion a chain of events that landed him a life sentence in prison without parole. James missed 25 years of his life. He missed the passing of both of his parents, aunts, grandparents. He missed the raising of his son, the birth of his grandchildren, technological advances. How many of you out here own a smartphone? Be honest, come on. You remember that moment when you bought your first smartphone and you felt this this light come over you that you had been living in darkness for so long and now I can check my email whenever I want to? It was this same moment times a million. Think about living in a jail cell for 25 years and coming out into the world we live in today. It's a scary place. That wasn't the hardest part. The hardest part was even though he had left the prison and had paperwork showing exoneration from the crimes that he was falsely accused of, he still had a reputation. Even his own son had trouble coping with this father who he had had hatred and bitterness towards for years to find out he was innocent this whole time. So James had a very difficult time finding and locating a job. He was let out of prison with $17, and it took him years to be uh, financially stable enough to be on his own. No one would hire someone with a criminal record like this. When you're accused of murder of five or six people and you've been in prison for 25 years, it's very difficult to get back on your feet. And so his story, his life, his faith was born out of impossible circumstances. He had, he had nothing to his name. His faith that he put in action had to help him to rise above a tarnished reputation that he had. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. This story that's inside a story is, is where we're going to take off from here. I'd like to introduce you to the character that we're going to talk about today. And I think we all know 
her profession. Now I'm going to say her name, and you guys tell me what her profession is. This is going to so gear up because this is this is what we're going to do right now. So her name was Rahab the. All right, hang on. Let's try this again. Rahab the. Exactly. Three thousand years later, we still know Rahab as a prostitute, as a harlot. We identify her by her occupation. Even in the scripture, she's never referenced as just Rahab. It's always Rahab, the harlot, the prostitute. How would you like to be stuck with this title for the rest of your life? This is what she was known as. Uh, and that's what she was. The Bible, and, and the Bible even calls her that. And we still refer to her as that to this day. The, the story that we're going to talk about today is in Joshua chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles and turn there, that's where we're going to take off. But I want to talk to you about today is three main things I believe that will encourage you about Rahab's life. And that's what she brought, what she sought, and what she got. We rhyme things in ministry. It's really neat. When you, if you ever get into ministry one day, you'll receive this gift of being able to rhyme things. So this morning, let's talk about what she brought. The first thing that Rahab brought is sin. And she brought a lot of it, just like you and I did. We all started at this same place when we started our walk with Christ. We started with a lot of sin. And until we come to terms with that sin, God can't touch it. Until we realize that we are full of sin, we are, we are born sinners, we have this nature... God can't do anything with it. Rahab was the lowest of the lows. She carried a lot of sin. She probably had a lot of regret. She lived a life that, that most of us are, are, are turned off by. And I really want to paint an accurate picture of, of, of what her occupation was and her lifestyle and her, her mindset because if, if we don't get this here, uh, we, we kind of gloss over it as we read through it. And so the story begins where the spies were discovered. Joshua sent two spies into the city. And Jericho had uh, what looks like to be a, a secret service of sort that, that found the spies out, reported back to the king, and, said, and let him know that these spies had infiltrated. And so they tracked them down to Rahab's house. And when the, uh, when the soldiers arrived, they asked for the soldiers or, or for the spies to be released to them. We know they're in here. Release them to us. And she said, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. Uh, and they left town at dusk. So they're, they're not here anymore. And, and the gates are about to close. I don't know where they went. And so if you hurry, you could probably catch up with them. And so these soldiers take her word, take off. I assume that they had probably had a relationship with her earlier. And they were, they, they were able to trust her word on that because they did. They left. They turned immediately and they went to chase after these spies wherever they might have gone. And let's look right at verse 8 in Joshua chapter 2. And it says, Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea. When you left Egypt, and we know that you did what you did to Sion and Og and the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. 
This last part is the most important part of the whole section. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. The second thing she brought, she brought sin and she brought faith. Rahab is saying here, I heard who God is. I heard what God does. And I believe in him. That's what faith is. Faith comes by hearing. She hadn't seen any part of this plan enacted. She knew who God was. She heard what he had done. And she believed. This is, this is the story of Rahab's faith. Fast forward all the way to Hebrews 11 in verse 30. And it says, It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days. And the walls came crashing down. This is where we left off last week. The walls came crashing down by faith. And it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And rewind just a few verses. In verse 6 it says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. She believed and she was seeking him. This is what they're talking about. Rahab's faith set her apart from predominantly most of the other women in the entire Bible, yet her story is only a few chapters long. And that really intrigued me when I began to read this story, is why is there so little information about her in the Scripture, yet she's held to such a high standard in the, in the, the hall of faith, if you will, back here in Hebrews. And so Rahab, she brought sin and she brought faith. Now what did she seek? What did what she sought? What was she looking for? And in Joshua chapter 2, verse 12, it gives us the answer. It says, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered... You will let me live along with my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, and all their families. Rahab sought favor. She sought favor from the spies, from the Israelites. She was seeking favor from God. There was destruction coming to her city, and she knew it, and she knew her life didn't match up to uh, what the Israelites and God's standard was. And we have to know that there are only two reactions when our life intersects the will of God, and that's favor or fortification. Rahab sought favor. The rest of the city sought to fortify. Fortify their walls, fortify their weapons, their hearts, their mindsets. They were ready for war. They were preparing to go to battle and face these Israelites. She sought favor and mercy. And we have to realize when we read through this that she's living this real time. And I think a lot of the stories in the Scripture when we read through them At least for me, I I gloss over some of it because most of these stories we've heard quite a few times and and we know how they end and we know the the story of faith and the actions that take place, but she doesn't know. She doesn't know how this is going to end. She's living this real time and she, she knows that this army is coming and she knows that her lifestyle does not reflect uh, one that is great and she's seeking favor anyways. And I have no doubt that she heard the stories from uh, the men that would come in uh, through her life and her profession, she would hear these stories of, of what the Israelites have done. If we look back into uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, 
In the very beginning of the chapter, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, the Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. These are the stories that she's heard. I have no doubt that she she knows exactly what is about to transpire. That this army is going to come in and destroy everything she knows. All the way down to the animals. And she knew what had been said, and but she sought favor anyways. So what she's saying to the spies in this, this section here is I'll receive you in, and in turn, you save me. I don't know about you, but that sounds a whole lot like gospel to me. I'll receive you in, and in turn, you save me. She sought favor in impossible circumstances. And to those who don't know the Lord, it's easy for the enemy to compare what you've done to who God is. But let me tell you what the enemy leaves out. And that's what Jesus did in the middle to bridge the two together. It's an accurate comparison. What you did to who God is. That's the law. But what Jesus did bridged the gap. There is Your sin is not something that the blood of Christ cannot overcome. If you don't get anything else today, leave here with that. With encouragement. So she sought favor. And then what she got. Joshua 2, chapter 14. Uh, the, the spies are speaking to Rahab here. And she says, we, they say, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed, if you, if you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. First thing she got was a promise. She got a guarantee. God wanted her to have this promise. Uh, and, and I want to give you four reasons why you get a promise from God. Why do, why do we get these promises? Why does, he, why does he interact with us in this way? The first reason that we get a promise from God is it's a basis for our faith. Is the foundation laid, the promises we get from God. The second is it leads us in the right direction. It provides direction for us. When we receive a promise, we know where to go. It gives us the, the, the clarity on what, uh, what path to take. The third thing is that it demonstrates God's faithfulness. God keeps his promises, and in turn, we point to him. We don't point to, to luck or karma or coincidence. We point to Him. That's why He gives us these promises. And the last thing is that it encourages us in difficult times. Rahab, in this story, in this passage, was about to face the most difficult time in her entire life. And it lasted a week long. You think about it, the, the army marched around their city for days, for seven days, and then it was crushed uh, and annihilated. The the next thing that we see here, uh, the next thing that she got, is we see in the same chapter, Joshua chapter 2. Let's scroll all the way down to verse 15. It says, Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window, escaped to the hill country, she told them, hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then, when we have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, 
We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet cord, this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all of your family members, your father, your mother, brothers, and all of your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone in the land, uh, anyone lays a hand on the people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and then she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. Second thing she got was a pledge. She got a scarlet cord. And I don't know about you, but this, again, this sounds just like gospel. This sounds like a prophetic gospel in the Old Testament. Because years ago, I received a scarlet cord. I got that from God, and when destruction comes to everyone else, I know what's waiting for me, and it's what the scarlet cord pledges in my life. And that's Jesus Christ. She tied it in the window, and she she tied it in the window, and God took his pledge years later, and he placed it inside the walls that was designed to keep him out. He took his son Christ, and he put him in the grave. He put him in the very place that was designed and fortified to keep him out. That leads us to the third thing that she got. And in Joshua chapter 6, when we fast forward, he gets instructions. God gives him instructions exactly how to go about taking over Jericho. Uh, March around the town once a day for six days. Uh, The seven priests walk ahead of the ark. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times, blowing the horns, and when you hear the priest give one long blast horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. And when we skip down to verse 15, uh, this, is, this is where the meat of it is. It says, On the seventh day the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around the priest sounded the long blast on their horns. Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. The third thing she got was a pardon. When you have a promise, a pledge, and a pardon, it doesn't matter where your circumstances are. You you have been sealed, and she watched an army march around her city for a whole week. Imagine what that would do to you mentally. She lived... On the city wall, her house was was built into the wall. And so she had the first-person point of view of all this that was taking place. She got to see them marching around and coming up before anyone else. I I can't even imagine the fear, but she had all of these things. And, And when you have a pardon, you know how the game ends, and that gives you peace. That's where the peace comes from. That's good news. Don't you wish you knew the outcome to every Texans game? Maybe not. She she lived without any of the drama because her future was secure. She had a promise, a pledge, and a pardon. Let's look to verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could, Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything with their swords. Men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, donkeys. Meanwhile, 
Joshua says to the spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, brothers, and all the relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place, and like you make a note of this, near the camp of Israel. They took her to a safe place near the camp of Israel. This is, this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is where things get, get real. Her, her promise that she had been given and her, and her pardon that had been, that had been, uh, put into place. This is, this is where this is taking place. And I want you to know, I want you to realize that when things get hard, when things get hard in my life, when circumstances seem out of control, we have to hold to that. We have to know I know that I still have a cord that flies from the window of, of my, my being, my heart, and that I know that His pledge is sure. He will keep His word, and I'm certain that I've been pardoned, and in that day, He'll remember who I am. In the times when we don't know what to do, when things seem out of, seem out of control, these are the things that we hold on to. And the last thing that she got was a, a posterity. A heritage. And in verse 24, Joshua chapter 6, in verse 24 it says, then, then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. But look at the last part. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Initially, when she was brought out, her family was placed near the camp of Israel. And we see here that she lives among the Israelites to this day. She dwells inside because her faith kept working in her favor. She kept faith and it kept working in her favor. God didn't bring you in your life this far to drop you. God didn't bring Rahab out of the city to leave her exiled from, from the people of Israel. He didn't, he didn't pardon her and, and, and exile her out to drop her. He didn't do the same with you either. God did not bring you this far to drop you. And it didn't stop there. This would be a great ending to an amazing story but if you know the ending, it doesn't stop here. Go, fast forward all the way into Matthew. Let's go to the New Testament. And let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. These are the, the uh, Beatitudes, the, the begats. Uh, and I'll, I'll spare you some of them as we kind of fast forward through here. And I'm going to go down to, to verse 3. It says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abimadad. Abimadah was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Not only did she get to live with the people of God, she became one of them. She became one of them. And Rahab was thankful that she and her family were not judged along with everyone that she knew. Praise and worship and thankfulness cannot help but flow out of this testimony. When you are saved, when you are uh, ransomed from a city of destruction, everything you know is gone. Praise and worship 
just flows. It flows out of this. You, you can't help but be thankful to God for, for these things. And not only that, but it says that Salmon and Rahab gave birth to Boaz. Anybody? Boaz? Rahab, follow me here. Rahab was redeemed and gave birth to the kinsman redeemer who would then redeem Ruth and the lineage would go all the way to the Lord himself. This is where Rahab's lineage ended up, her posterior. So what, what is the point of all this? What, what, is, what do we get with this? Whatever you brought to the table today, mixed with favor and faith, he doesn't just bless you. He blesses your lineage, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, all the way down. Same chapter, scroll down to, to verse 15. Eliad was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathon. Mathon was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. This is where the story ends. This story inside of a story, one of the greatest faith plays of all time, ends with Christ himself. What an amazing story. This morning, what have you brought to the table? What sin, what sin is in your past that's preventing you from leading your future? What, what is, what is God trying to do in your life right now this morning that maybe, maybe your view of your past is preventing? Maybe you have a reputation. That's what we're talking about today. It's, it's the faith to overcome what the enemy has put in front of us. And it's our self. I'm going to have our prayer team come this morning and just be available up here. Everybody, if you just stand for a few moments. The response time is, is now. And we have a couple of options. We have the option to, to seek favor with God. We have the option to, to fortify our walls uh, and, and not give in. What, what, what do you choose today? What is God trying to do with you today, right now? I, I lived in sin for years. I lived in sin. And I built up these walls. And I stood behind them to, to, to keep God out. And I was his enemy. I was worthy of death and destruction and, and hell. But God ran a mercy mission that slipped past the walls of my heart. And he got in and he revealed himself to me. Years ago, and he showed me that he loved me. He offered me forgiveness and salvation. And he offered me a lineage for my family. If I would just take him at his word and make him my God. And when he did, he tied a scarlet cord to the window of my heart. And it flies there to this day. And it says that the nations will one day be destroyed. But God's going to remember who I am. And in that day, he's going to redeem me. So what is your decision you have to make today? What is it that you're dealing with right now that you can give to God?